if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. We've got a very welcome guest back again today with Brendan Bergen, here to chat to us today about 10 ways to get the most out of a training session. How are you today, Brendan? Yeah, pretty good, pretty yeah. good. Brendan, really looking forward to this, um, getting the most out of a training session. You know, people pay money to go to a coach, so if they can get the most out of a training session, it's better value for them. It's better value to think about that they're getting a little bit further, you know, for that one training session, that they're getting along Absolutely. like one and a half if they really yeah. make the most out of it, or even two or three, you know, if they if, rather than just coming, yeah. turning up, yeah. doing the lesson, going, coming back next week if um, – there's lots of things that, that I know you've got yeah. in your notes here for them to do. But, look, before we go, just need to have a quick reminder about the vision for International Horse College. Now, if you've got the same vision, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at the website at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, Brendan, these training sessions... The first tip you've got is remember that we're coaching the horse. Are we coaching the horse, coaching the rider? Is the rider coaching the horse? Just clarify that a little bit more. I always think of it as, as slightly hierarchical in a way. Like okay. uh, usually my role is that I'm the coach. So my, my job as the coach is to help the rider be in the right mental state, have the right tools at their disposal so they can coach the horse or help the horse learn. So you can't ever make anyone or anything learn. You can, you have to create the circumstances so the, the person or horse can do the right thing. So in, in days of old training both horses and riders, it was a very forced, it was a very um, military approach. Yep. And I suppose... I always think that if you think of it more like I've got to create the right circumstance, it's kind of like what the old horsemen used to say, uh, make, make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think it's often misinterpreted when they say that, that what people hear is make the wrong thing difficult. You yeah. have a license to beat your horse up when they do the wrong thing. Mm. Whereas it should be much more focused on make the right thing easy. Like, when you're starting coaching a rider, new rider horse combination, you don't go and put up a meter 20 and go, right, go jump that. You see them over a pole. You see them over um, a small vertical, a bigger vertical, and then you're working towards a meter 20. Even if they've told you, I'm out jumping meter 60, the first thing you do is you put them over a pole on the ground. If they can't do a pole on the ground, they can't go forward from there. Yeah. And I think remembering that, Horses ha have confidence issues and, and that sort of thing. Like my my event horse is super brave. Um, but the reason why she's super brave is we always start off everything easy, easy, and we focus on the speed and we focus on the direction. We make sure I'm not in such a way that I'm going to catch her going over a fence. I think if you rethink really of coaching the horse and coaching them like a nervous rider, you suddenly change the whole game. Yeah, yep. I think yep. that's really important. Yep. 
All right. Now, I know that we often talk about a good frame of reference. So we're talking about a good frame of reference to evaluate the training and to measure improvement. So can you talk us through that again? And, you know, I know sometimes, Brendan, you know, you might say, look, I've talked about this before, but you talk about the important things. So someone doesn't come for a lesson and you say, well, this is this is what it is. The next week you don't say, well, I'm going to refuse to teach you that because I already taught it last week. You teach it again because it's important. Yeah, well, there's a lot, like, the thing is with horses, there's a lot of repetition because there's very limited, there's, there's, there's very little limited compute cycles in a horse's brain is the way I always think about it. So you've got to keep it simple. Yep. And the most important thing to remember for us is as coaches, we have to give the rider a method of measuring where they are to increase the maintenance of what they understand. And it means then they can achieve personal bests regularly because it's really important if you want to keep your clients that you have ways of showing them that they that that you are useful. Because mm-hmm. in the end of the day, there's economics to what we do. And, you know, if people aren't getting their kicks from you, they'll go and get their kicks from someone else who maybe is easier pleased yeah. or something. Anyway, so my frame of reference I use is exactly the same as what I say all the time. I'm sure people are sick of hearing it. But anyway, I'll do it anyway. I always think of William Mickham's constants of variables the German scale of training and the equitation science international um, principles of horse learning. So the constants are acceptance, calmness, forwardness, straightness, and purity. The variables are direction, speed, impulsion, balance, and timing. The German scale of training is rhythm, suppleness, contact, impulsion, straightness, and collection. And the ESI um, shaping scale is basic attempt, obedience, rhythm, straightness, contact, and proof, unless it's changed since I last looked at it, uh, which it probably hasn't. So I suppose when you think of those things, it's very easy in if you, you know, like if, if maybe the constants aren't good, but it's very easy maybe then to f- go over to the shaping scale and maybe they're higher up the shaping scale than they were the last time. I think it's really important to be quite good at our craft as coaches to make sure even when things are not looking good, there's always achievement to be found. And I suppose it's not good enough to tell the client that you were brilliant um, because you rode well. You've got to be able to produce the evidence because people don't want to just be pandered to. They want to see where their improvement is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, as a coach, we need to do our homework. When you talk about doing our homework, is it us as an instructor or a coach to um, teach people to get the most out of the training session or is it the people that are doing the training session should be doing some homework in between so they don't just come along, finish their lesson, come up a week later and not do anything in between? Well, it's kind of both. And I was sort of, I have a sort of slightly different slant on the do your homework idea in mm. that when I put that down, what I what I more meant is if you decided then it's right, I'm going to go and I'm going to start doing some barrel racing. Because I'd say you've probably never done barrel racing, have you? Yeah, I have actually. I've done a bit of everything. <laughs> well, we need yes. to find something you haven't done. But <laughs> if, I, 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 um, okay, suppose you're going to do some, uh, do some skydiving. Have I've you ever done, done skydiving? Yep. <laughs> you, you've done that as well. okay yeah. right okay we're gonna, I've never gone skydiving well use me okay you're, you're not a very you're not a very useful subject Lennox because you don't oh, no, do no, um, yeah. right okay. anyway so I've never done skydiving before 
So before I go and do skydiving, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look up and figure it out. Figure out what it is that, that we're doing, whatever. So for someone who's starting off eventing or whatever, they've got to find out when they're starting off with a, an EIA, EIA 80 or EI 90, what sort of obstacles are they going to meet? Um, what sort of speeds are they going to have to be going? And how are they going to develop a goal framework to get to that uh, get to that goal? So um, sometimes that's going to involve getting onto Google. Sometimes it's going to involve getting into your rule book, into your horsey books. Sometimes it's going to involve getting getting into your coach and finding out from your coach what do they see as the roadmap. Like I, I know I do that with my coach a lot. I I have three coaches that I use and. Uh, for me and I lean on them so for example I have my cross-country coach and I'll go right okay what do I need to work on for the next week until I see you again and she will give me the homework I need to do but then on top of the homework that she's given me I will also go and research the stuff that we're doing so she says right I want you to go off into the forest and I want you to go and pop her all over a few ditches and you know just get her used to the feeling of popping a few ditches I will go and look up in, uh, uh, different ways of training ditches um, along with the way she does. So that when I come back to her, I have more to bring to the table. If you do a lot of work and research at home, as long as your coach isn't, doesn't feel easily threatened, you can come with a lot more information and as such can glean a lot more from a lesson mm -hmm. if you can come with a bit more. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, that's good. That's good. I think that's explained it. And I think that really, you know, I'm thinking the people that I teach do that. They go up and they say, you know, yeah. last week we were talking about this. I'm just wondering, is this relevant or is that relevant? And they progress so much quicker because they're, they're the doing that. They're most teach, yeah. Yeah, they're not just doing what I've asked them to do. But they've really gone out and explored the whole idea of it. So, yeah. And they're the ones that are going to get, they're going to get the real competition success because yes. – with the best will in the world, we're all limited. Like, you know, I sat there at the, at a convention about a month ago watching Yogi Breisner helping people through exercises, real riding club people through exercises. And I looked at him and I went, oh, my God, there is just so much going on there that I would never have even thought. And all he had down were poles on the ground. Like, yeah, trolley mm. poles going across the arena, yep. a few other poles. And just the way he stitched everything together was pure, unbridled magic. And by the end, we said, "Look, if you can ride all these lines, you can you can go to badminton." You know, this is that there all yep. the skills you need to yes. go to badminton. All you have to do in badminton is jump the fences. Yep. Which it sounds like funny to say, but it's absolutely true. Like mm. that, it's all about that base unit at work. Yep. 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 I can see that. The coach that can see the big picture, is that one that's looking at badminton? Um, not necessarily. I suppose what uh, what I think of is, you know, again, coaches have different roles. Sometimes mm. you're the instructor. Sometimes you're a coach. Sometimes you're the invisible man on the side that asks a question. I think it's important for coaches to be able to go a couple of things like I think it's important as a coach like I just said coaches are limited to know if you've come to the end of the road with someone because okay. sometimes you come to the end end of your skill with someone and maybe you need to pass them on to someone else so that they can progress yep and 
I've done that in the past. I've passed people on to someone else. And then like a boomerang, they've come back and a year later, they're in a different place. And now I'm back on, I'm tagged back in again. And, and I have something to offer them again. Whereas I didn't have something to offer them because of the limit of my skill. I think it's, it's important not to be afraid as a coach to be afraid that we have skill limitations. Um, and I think when you're selecting a coach, there's a, the problem with coaching is that there's a, there's a lot of fashion in coaching in Ooh. terms of some coaches will be very fashionable. I will never be fashionable because coaches that try and speak logic and reason at all times are not fashionable because, <laughs> because we won't have this flashiest exercise that someone else is using. We won't be, a, we won't be, well, I'm certainly not willing to push the horses beyond the limitation. Yeah. So it's important that I think you, I suppose I always select a coach that's, more middle of the road. I, I tend not to go to super flashy coaches. I tend to go to coaches that I feel uh, fit the deficiency that I don't have. And the other thing I always think is go to someone qualified, go to someone who goes to regular continued professional development, because if they're not developing, how do you expect them to develop you? Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that's supposed to be my, yeah. the big picture. And, and a coach that... Like they don't necessarily like sometimes a coach can be really useful in developing you towards a cross country goal, even if they haven't competed to a really high level. Maybe they've got a really good eye. Mm-hmm. The, the skill in, in coaching is very different from the skill in, in riding. And to go to someone who is a super top class rider might mean that they have that innate gift of riding which means they cannot teach that Mm -hmm. to you because they have it innately. The best coaches are the ones that have had to really work at developing their skills themselves. Like, um, it's interesting, my cross-country coach, uh, her name is Melanie Rin. And Melanie is is quite short and is quite a different shape of rider to me Uh, because I'm I'm relatively tall, long in the leg, where she's quite short in the leg. And, she, and what she's had to do is she's had to develop her coaching skills so that she can see the big picture to be able to understand how someone tall works. Same way as when I'm coaching, because I'm tall and longer legged, I've had to work to understand how someone short works mm. because mm. it's a different balance. Like for me, there's a lot more to coordinate in the vertical sense than someone else. Yep. Whereas if you're really short, it's, everything is quite compact. You don't have maybe the length of leg to give you that stability when you have an oh crap moment. <laughs> yes. Maybe. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So yep. anyway, so Absolutely. I think it's important yep. to have a coach that understands you cannot push everyone into the one mold. Yep. Yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. 
Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, when you say do a regular SWOT and SMART analysis, you know, S-W-O-T, S-M-A-R-T analysis, what are we analysing and can you explain the SWOT analysis and the SMART analysis okay. or SMART goals? Yeah. yeah. I can, of course. So um, SWOT stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. Uh, so we'll talk about that first. So um, it comes it comes from business and it's about you know creating opportunities to uh, make your company successful. Uh, it's exactly the same with, with your riding. So I think of it as uh, SWOT, of, SWOT of skills and then there's SWOT of goals. So your SWOT of skills are where are the strengths in my riding? So, for example, for me, the strengths in my riding lie in that I tend to understand what needs to happen a lot. And I tend to think a lot, which forms my weakness. My weakness is I want it to be perfect. Mm, yeah. And I can go to extraordinary lengths if I my coach doesn't sort of say, come on, Brendan, just go over the damn thing. It doesn't matter if it's perfect. Get the horse down. It doesn't matter if it's a five stride. If the horse comes down in six, you're going to survive eventing. If you insist on the five and the horse is wrong for it, they're going to kill you. So that's that's one of my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. My opportunities, I always think of opportunities as sometimes really useful opportunities will come up. And for me, useful opportunities come up out hacking all the time. So, for example, on one of my hacking routes, I have to go over a motorway um, sometimes uh, there's a lot of traffic on it, especially in the wet weather. And that noise creates this distraction for my horse. So the opportunity is to be able to walk the horse down the line and keep them straight, as if I was coming down to a big scary jump and there was a crowd of people, yep. usually at the water. Mm-hmm. And then threats for me are my own brain, um, trying to make things perfect too much, trying to over or often overthinking it like there's always thoughts rolling around in my head crashing into each other and and pushing me off kilter so i suppose that's the way i think of with 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 the SWOT analysis for your riding and when you identify your weaknesses you're trying to strengthen them when you identify your opportunities you're trying to make use of them and when you identify your threats you try to tackle them as head on as you can I suppose it's really important to just regularly do, like what I do is I have, again, people have heard my chats before, I have a little book where I write down stars and wishes, which we will talk about later. Yep. Um, and I write down once a month, when I come to the end of a month, I write down my swat of where I am mm-hmm. and where my horse is. Okay. So I can identify the goals going forward. Okay. okay. So then, then that moves us on to the smart analysis of goals. So SMART stands for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and then time. So my goal is ultimately I want to go and be, do a three-star mm-hmm. eventing course. Yeah. Now, that is probably two years away at the moment with the horse I have at the moment. So the goal is specific. I want to do a three-star. I know where I want to do it. So you have to have that specificity. Um, we have measurable small goals to get there mm-hmm. so for eventing if you want to do a three star obviously you're going to need to do a two star you're going to need to do a one star and then you're going to have to do your national comps so you're going to be doing your ei 100 you're going to be doing your ei 90 
uh, EI80. I'm not sure what that is in Australia. I, I'm I'm in the Irish system, so you'll have, <laughs> yeah, you'll have yeah. to go and Google it. Um, and those are achievable. So my horse at the moment is out doing EI1, is, mm-hmm. well, when this coronavirus goes away, um, <laughs> yes. is going out and doing, uh, it will be do, uh, starting off at EI100. By the end of the uh, end of the season, we should be doing an EI110, which will bring us into two star. So you have to have those achievable goals mm-hmm. and you've got to be realistic about it. Like if you're riding Dobbin the Cobb, it is highly unlikely, no offense to Dobbin the Cobb, that Dobbin the Cobb is going to do a three-star yeah. anytime. It, it, it's just not going to happen. He can absolutely hunt a trial. He can absolutely go up to try EI 100, but it's just not realistic or fair to expect that. Mm. You know, it's like expecting um, your 80-year-old grandmother to um, go and run a, run a marathon for the first time. Look, at, it could be done, but it probably wouldn't be advisable. Mm-hmm. And then you, you have to have a time scale. So I have my three star goal is on a two year time frame. That's yep. where I'm thinking of it for that horse. And again, I've discussed that with my coach coaches and they all feel that two years is reasonable. I suppose it's really important just to regularly look back and see where are we at, how far are we along and make it break everything to small bite sized goals that can be done. I suppose that brings us to the next one, you know, about increasing your skill every day, not being a slave to the plan, you know, because before you've talked about breaking things down, but increasing a skill every day. Just explain how we're going to do that. Okay, so skills come in a few different things. So there is horse skill, yes. there's rider skill, and some some of the skills for both are, like for horses it's nearly always physical because we have no way of measuring their mental development really um, yes 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 <laughs> yes sure we might be able to read their minds eventually and yeah. might be a scary thought but anyway <laughs> um so for me most of my most of my skills that i work to develop are mental centric focus sort of stuff you know thing keeping myself on track like we talked about in the swot analysis so you got to think of what are we working on today and i think sometimes people can go right I'm going to work on a 20-meter circle today. And working on a 20-meter circle today isn't helpful, generally. What's much more helpful to go is, first of all, I'm going to work on getting my horse straight. Then i got to work on getting my horse to bend, and then I've got to get my horse on the line that I want. That way, again, I'm always thinking from the eventing perspective, that way you have a skill that is then transferable to riding a bending line down to a double of corners, mm-hmm. you know, yep. you know, if you can, and I suppose that's, that's what identifies things as skills rather than activities. A skill is something that can be carried forward somewhere else. So for example, I, when I go out hacking, my, my horses do a lot of hacking. We do a lot on the road because I find it really helpful. And I work on suppleness on the road. I do my shoulder ins. I do my leg yields. But when I'm doing my shoulder ins and leg yields, I'm doing it along a specified line. So I'm not just practicing shoulder in, I'm practicing the skill of putting my horse on the line I want. So when the road is quiet, I'll go right. I'm going to put the right front leg on the white line. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put the left front leg on the right, white line. I'm going to put it to the right of the line, left of the line. 
if I'm cantering along down a lane, I'm going to put the horse's foot in that puddle. You know, it's all those sort of skills developments of, from an eventing perspective, I always think it's about putting the horse where you need them to be yep. so that they have the right circumstances to be able to do their job. And I suppose that's what I always think of when I'm trying to develop skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than going, I'm going to do shoulder in today, I'm going to jump a meter 10 today, I'm going to ride a 20 meter circle today. It's not enough to just do that. You have to be going, what skill is being developed in that process? Yep, yep, yep. Now, so I can see that you're breaking down the skill, the plan to increase the skill each day, but you're continually improving the quality. Now, this don't Correct. be a slave to the plan, though. What's that? Sometimes you'll go out with the idea that we're going we're gonna to work on straightness or we're going to work on this and you come out, you come out, you go into the arena, you go out for your hack, and it's not working. Sometimes when things aren't working, uh, you have to bash through them and you know break down the wall and work through them. Mm. But there's a lot of times when, if you plan to say work twenty meter circles and get the horse going well on the twenty meter circle to develop the skill of getting the horse on the line, getting the bend, whatever. Sometimes you find that maybe you've got to move away from that plan for a a while, maybe uh-huh. maybe yep. a, a few minutes, yep. maybe you've got to move away from it for a period of time. So, for example, for my horse, one of the things that she is crap at is her walk. Her mm-hmm. walk is just, she's just one of these horses that she gets really tight in it. So, for a stupid six weeks, I decide, right, you're going to learn to walk. Mm-hmm. I, and this was a better way of putting it is I came at it from the point of view is, I am going to learn you to walk. <laughs> yes, yes. And when you come in with that idea that you're going to learn them, you're going to make them do it, it's a disaster. So I spoke to, I was at, I was at a training day with a guy called Christoph Hess. I was just watching. Mm. And I came and spoke to him about my horse and said, oh, um, she, I can't get her to overtrack in the walk. And he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm walking. He said, no, don't walk. And I went, what do you mean don't walk? And he just walked. He said, no, 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 no. You need her to connect and canter. So I went home um, that evening and got on her and cantered her around and round and round and did exactly what he said, you know, cantered her long rein, loose rein. And lo and behold, horse walked. Yep. Exactly the way she should. Yep. Yep. And that's what I mean by don't be a slave to plan. Like I got stuck in the idea of I'm going to make you walk. Whereas it was completely the wrong end of the telescope. And I just wasted six six weeks of my time yes. trying to do something when if I just, you know, put my lateral thinking hat on, I probably could have come up with go and canter. Mm. And if I was watching someone else, I probably would have said, oh, let's just leave that for a minute, go and have a canter or let's go do some shoulder in or leg yep. in. And then as I... Uh, <laughs> As, as it sort of unfolded in my head, I sort of started going, oh, I, could, I should be leg yielding her in the walk. I should be using shoulder in the walk to try and, you know, stretch and open and connect. And now she's, she's the walk is still fragile, but we're able to walk now. But yeah. we just do it at the end of a session rather than the beginning. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Being responsible. You've got a note here. Remember who's responsible for what. So just explain that a little bit more. You know, who, who's in the picture when you say who's responsible for what? Okay, I suppose it depends on the day. So some days it's just you and your horse in the picture because yep. you're you're not on a coach for that day. So sure. when when that is happening, uh, you're only responsible for four things, and the rider is only ever responsible for four things. And people who have heard other chats of mine have, have heard these a few times. 
the first thing is they have to look and plan. So you have to look where you're going and you have to know what you're doing. So, you know, even if you're walking large around the arena, to say you're walking large around the arena is not enough. You have to go, right, I'm walking between two imaginary tracks or whatever it is. You have to get the speed right for whatever the task is. So if you're herring across cross-country to jump the big scary trichainer, I'm always talking about trichainers, <laughs> maybe I've got a complex about them. <laughs> you need to make sure the horse is coming well enough that they can clear it, yep. but also coming steady enough that they can get a good look at it and see the big scary ditch that's underneath the big scary log. Um, you got to get the direction right. You got to make sure the horse knows that you communicate with the horse. This is where you're to go. And then your position balance has to be good enough to um, absorb the jump or not block the children or whatever it is. And then very simply, the horse is responsible for everything else. We can't make them lift their legs off the ground. Well, I suppose we probably could, but um, it's not going to be advantageous to us later to do things like make them lift their legs off the ground or whatever. Mm. They've got to figure that out themselves. And then the coach's job, if the coach is there from the outside, is the coach is the supervisor, the overseer, the manager, the person who is looking after the big picture. Again, I was actually at another, I'm always going to talk some training days, a training day with a guy called Kieran Glynn, who's uh, he's an, he's an Irish eventer, he's evented internationally, and he's now moving more into a coaching role. And he said something very interesting, like coaches can be very stuck in the idea that they are coaching that person on that day. And PR to a certain extent, but he said, as a coach, you're also the team manager. So you've got to sort of ask the question, like someone's going eventing, are you getting in your fitting work? You know, what fitting work are you doing? No, no, you need to be doing this fitting work. You have to be looking after the big picture. I suppose that is one of the things coaches have to do Mm -hmm. is you can't disclaim your yourself away into oh I was only coaching what you were at today you've got to be looking at the big picture of where they're going and making sure they're putting in that uh, groundwork foundation work that they'll be able to do the job that they've told you they want to do yeah so that is that's what I mean by who's responsible for what because we've all got our responsibilities we've also got things that we are not responsible for and we can't take up the mantle for everything yep 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 Okay, now, the horse, what are they responsible for? Everything else. They've got to, when, when we set up the speed and point them at something, they've got to jump it. Yeah. Um, when when we um, move them into shoulder in and have them moving along nicely, they've got to continue in cruise control. Again, it, lots of what I say sort of comes back to things like Andrew McLean has said and John McLean has said. You know, it's about installing these habits into the horse that the horse can take over when we get into trouble. And again, Andrew and Jana have both evented a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose that's where why that's come into their system. Because when you're out eventing, you need two brains looking after your collective mortality. Because um, there was a, a, a lady died recently. Um, I think it was in the, I think it was the United States and, or Canada. And it just it brought home to me how important it is to train the horse to look and think for himself, to um, be able to assist the rider when things go wrong. Yes, yes. 
Yes. And you, you event, you've evented as well. I have done. You know that yeah, yourself. Absolutely. When you're coming down to a big scary thing yep. and you're, you feel you're wrong, mm. you kind of need the horse to take over and go, it's okay, mom. It's okay, dad. I've look got this. Yep. I know yep. what, we've yep. done loads of these. I know what to do. And you're there going, oh, I'll just hang on to the next trap and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the best in the world, it happens to every eventer um, that there's times when we're wrong and the horse has to help us out. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And nice to have a nice, sensible horse, which goes back to your basic training, that you're not overfacing your horse, you're teaching your horse to jump more confidently rather than just jump higher. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely mm. agreed. Yeah. Now, using equipment, I know that you love pods. Are we just going to explain what pods are? Because um, I didn't know what they were when you first started talking about <laughs> pods. But we're going to use equipment to evaluate progress, so pods or whatever else, but how can we evaluate our progress? Okay, so there's there's certain there's different things you're trying to evaluate. So uh, as you as you rightly said, like I'm big into these pods, like little mm. flat football cones that squash if the horse stands them, so they can't hurt themselves. So as a coach, as a rider, I use them all the time to develop accuracy. So I'll use them. We always talk about four points on a circle, twenty meter circle. So I'll put out four pods at the four points to bring my attention, bring my client's attention. I'll use them for riding through to go over a fence or whatever, but. That's not the only equipment we need to be using. So you've got to figure out, is my horse riding down a 12-foot canter stride? So you put out your two poles on your specified distance and you canter your horse down over the poles and then you're able to see how close am I to, say, a five-stride canter distance? How close am I to the five strides? Does the horse do five even strides? Because it depends on the day what you're looking for. Most show jumpers are looking for five even strides. Mm-hmm. Eventers are sometimes looking for something different, uh, or certainly I am anyway. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm coming down over these poles and I'm actually looking for the horse to come down in four big ones and a little scramble for the last stride. So the last stride is short. Yep. Mainly because eventing-wise, for me anyway, and I don't know if everyone else agrees with this, but it's what I do anyways. I don't want the horse to arrive at the fence in the perfect stride and training all the time. Yeah. Because if they arrive at the perfect stride and training all the time, then when they get into trouble, they've never practiced it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've got to create the circumstances where they come in on a short one, where they come in on a long one. Ideally, eventing, we actually want them to get usually good and close to the fence so they have enough projection to get up and over, especially if it's a big scary thing. Um, so I suppose... It's all about evaluating where you're at and seeing where you need to develop your your skills in. Um, like my trainer is is big for I want to, she always says I want the horses to chip in sometimes because there's sometimes when they'll need to chip in. So she will set up exercises so that the horse will end up chipping in. And it's not like don't get me wrong, we're not trying to trick them or anything, but it's just sometimes that will be necessary. Um, I don't know, do you, is that what you, what you found yourself, yeah, Dennis? Yeah, I have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and I think it's important to just really think that we're not looking for perfect performance all the time. We're looking mm-hmm. for improvement. And confidence, improving we're, confidence, you know, so that they get into those situations that are a bit tricky and they, they just go, oh, it's easy, I can get out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes they'll come in and come out real nice. Sometimes they'll have to scramble out of it. And when they have to scramble out of it, you don't want them to lose themselves and have a meltdown because mm. that's how you end up impaled on a fence. Yes, um, yes. 
if it's show jumping, it's grounded. It'll fall down. If it's dressage, for those uh, arena boards, if you land on them, you'll be all right. But if you <laughs> land on uh, land on or in a ditch or a scary chicaner, mm. um, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> yep, 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 for sure, for sure. Yeah. Now, just going on, you know, about variety now, you know, and it's all right if you're an eventer. You're doing everything anyway. You know, you're giving yours lots of variety and doing different things on different days. But when you say about variety will develop your specific discipline, what if you're a dressage rider? What sort of variety? You know, what if you're a okay. show jumper? Do, you know, like tell us a little bit more about that. Well, start on dressage because yep. – I have a pet peeve with, with dressage riders and lots of dressage trainers. Mm. So there's a few trainers over here that say, oh, God, we can't put the dressage horses over a pole. Yeah. Because what if they stand on the pole and the pole rolls? Yep. And I'm, I'm standing there listening to these people going, really? Really? And you, you're <laughs> going to develop your dressage horse without poles? Mm. Or we can't, we won't hack them because they have to be on a surface. And it just doesn't compute for me. Like, like I always think of like some of the things for dressage horses is you need them to extend, you need them to stretch their stride. I just don't know how I would go about doing that if I couldn't use a pole. Yeah. And it just gives the horse a focus. It gets them looking down. It gets them stretching. Um, I suppose that's what I think of dressage horses. Dressage horses, you know, like the best place to train, well, anything. I think is out hacking. So like, mm-hmm. for example, like shoulder in, uh, leg yield, traver, traver in particular, I always do on the way home yep. because my horse is much more positive in the, in the movement. It means the traver is always much better. Now, look, you have to do it in the arena as well because that's the, that's the, the job of the dressage rider. But if you can give the horse the feeling and again, saying again, create the circumstances out hacking, that they get the right feeling, you can totally get change the game. So, and the other thing I think all dressage horses can should do is jump. Like yep. it doesn't have to be anything yep. big. They can yep. be little cavaletti height, like even fifty centimeters. But like, you know, especially like if you're getting up towards the Grand Prix, for example, um, you've got to do canter pirouettes. And what do you need the horse to do for a canter pirouette? You need them to rock back onto their hocks. Mm-hmm. really easy way of doing that pop them over to the fence they have to rock back and over the fence rock back rock forward rock back rock forward and I think if you if it, again it's like you and I often say when we're chatting is it's about creating the circumstance it's about making it easy for the horse to figure out what it is they're doing and the best way to do that is to put the feeling into their body by whatever means necessary in an ethical way and you know, sometimes pop no offense the way to do it. Show jumping, and um, generally speaking, I think the flat work that show jumpers do is generally actually quite good now because you can't get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the current show jumping courses, like in years, years and years ago, before I was coaching or probably even riding, uh, the show jumping courses. You watch the videos of them; they're much, much. They're bigger and scarier, all right, but they're not as technical. Yep. And I think the show jumpers do spend a lot of time, certainly like if you take Ireland's Keen O'Connor, he has a dressage trainer and dressage rider who rides his horses and teaches him on his horses to make sure that the flat work is properly installed. And they do things like they do shoulder in, they do leg. I remember talking at a demo about, he was doing a demo with um, one of Ireland's riders, uh, Heike Holstein, and she rides his rides some of his horses for him and, 
that crossover has created a really powerful uh, schooling change for him. Yep. And that this was about five years ago. And, and like, he's still there competing at the top level. He, people might not always agree with the way he trains, but he's still there and he's doing a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, as you said, with eventing, like, we're, th- the bases are generally covered. But I think it's different with eventing because we have to link those things together mm-hmm. yes. uh, in a different way. You know, the, the dressage directly relates to the show jumping. The show jumping and the cross country are directly related, um, and they have to be able to cope with um, all that going, doing their dressage when someone's coming flying past the from the cross country course, and yeah. you know they've got to be able to compartmentalise. Yes, yes, and I think you know you did talk before about ethical training and thinking about the mental well being of the horse to have yeah. that variety within their training. Yeah. And then, like, like I lunge, like all my horses lunge a lot as well. Like, I think it's just important that, like, you don't, like, I, I certainly, I suppose one of the major reasons why I hack and do all sorts of variety of stuff is I get kind of bored as well. Like, I, mm. I couldn't be doing yeah. it going round and round. So there's loads of memes on Facebook uh, of, like, dressage horse cartoons sitting on the couch talking to their ther- their supposed therapist. <laughs> oh, I have to see another 20 meter circle and it's so true like dressage riders just lots of them lots of them who haven't seen the big picture yet mm. are just going round and round and round and round and round and round four horses are bored out of their face yeah yeah I suppose it's a safer you know to some degrees it's a bit of a safer sport there's um, less adrenaline if the horse is just getting bored and bored but then if the horse does get a big fright you know they can get a bit stirred up as well or, or riding if they're used to being ridden in the arena all the time and all of a sudden they've got to go out or got to be ridden out in the big open area you know at a competition or along a trail or something there can be a big problem there if they're not used to that sort of riding yeah i was at another actually interesting training day now you mentioned that with a guy called adam kemp he's a dressage trainer in the uk and he's an interesting and rather sarcastic individual but he's he's quite brilliant and what he said is like What's interesting now these days is that, uh, he's a bit older than me, uh, is that you, you have to train horsemanship to people now. Yes. You know, like people coming to do a PS, come to him to do a PSG or an intro one. Mm. They can't write. Mm. They yeah. haven't had the experience of hunting or hacking out or whatever. They've only ridden in the arena. Some yeah. of them have, have never even tacked up their horse. Yet they're competing to PSG. It's mental. Absolutely mm. mental. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Yes, Sorry. yes. That's all right. I can see we can um, talk about this quite a lot more, you know, the, just the um, the horsemanship that's required and how it affects your riding. You know, if you've got that basic horsemanship and understanding of horse behaviour, then that just helps you so much more, you know, just the way Absolutely. that the horse has grown a hand taller and got their ears pricked up watching it something go by. You think, I'll just mount up when that's gone past. I won't do it right now, mm-hmm. you know, just... Waiting that couple of seconds because you're watching body behaviour. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, tell us about Stars and Wishes. Bring us something magical. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, again, this is, again, there's, it's like the, the frame of reference. This, I think, is something that's come up in nearly every chat. Um, I think that for every training session, every riding session, especially if, it's gone gone arse over tip. It's really important that you look back on it and you find two stars in a wish. So the first star is your small star. 
So that's one skill, one thing that went well. And it can be something really, really small. Like, for example, um, I have a client I teach and she always has her left hand higher. Her horse is a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a rat bag. Um, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that is one of the things that I will point out if she cannot find a small star, your left hand was lower. Okay. Yep. Um, yep. Or something small like that. Secondly, you have your wish and your wish is something that you wish you could improve. Like for me, one of my wishes is nearly always, um, I wish I could have a calmer focus because my focus is often quite manic. I have quite an obsessive personality. So it's like, like when I was talking earlier about the walk, um, you know, I got to learn you to walk. It's because of that obsessive personality that I was going to learn my horse to walk <laughs> instead of moving away and coming back. And then um, your big star is something that went really well. So for example, if you're um, working over trot poles and your horse starts to get that, you start getting that feeling of the shoulder extending and the horse lifting. That might be the skill you developed in, in you and your horse is the ability to create that stretch in the shoulder. Yep, yep, yep. It's interesting. You know, we've talked about it, teaching children and using the stars and wishes at the end of each session. And um, I talked to you about it a while ago and then did a coaching clinic for a week. So every lesson, you know, the coaches are out and they're teaching their lessons and often trainees riding for them. And then at the end of each lesson, we started doing the stars and wishes. And first of all, Larabit, can't we just do like a sandwich feedback, you know, feedback sandwich, which is what we'd normally do. And yeah. um one of the girls, you know, said, oh, no, I'll do, I'll do stars and wishes, and they started doing stars and wishes, and then everyone started doing stars and wishes, and it really changed. You know, they're still self-evaluating. They're still saying, right, this is better, but it changed it into a, a less critical um, type of atmosphere into a more of a hopeful, I can, I can get this done type atmosphere, if that makes yeah, sense. Well, like what, 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 I, what I say to the kids is that, like horse riding is life preparation, okay? And okay. there's enough people in the world who are trying to cut you down, especially if you're doing something different, which I generally am. There's enough people trying to cut you down that you should be trying to build yourself up. And again, it's from the kids that the, the stars and wishes came. And I'm so glad mm. uh, that they came and said, oh, we do this in school. And I went, oh my God, that's such a great idea. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. And the important thing is, I think, is as we go through and as coaches in particular, you've got to be looking outside your little box mm. to see what's going on somewhere else so that you can really help and add to your client's learning. I suppose that's what I'm always trying to do. Not always succeeding because sometimes I can be a right grumpy old bugger when I'm teaching. But uh, I try not to be. <laughs> <laughs> I think for all continually trying to improve, we're going to make the world a better place. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Brendan, if people would like to contact you, what's the best way? And the best way is to go to our website, uh, bergenequine.com. There is, uh, you can email us from there. We also have a very active Facebook page, um, bergenequine at Brambley Hedge Farm. So uh, I suppose that's the best way to link in and um, and if you have any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch. Um, 
don't try to ring because usually I'm up to my eyes. Email is the best way um, to the website because I will get back to you. <laughs> okay, then. And if you've missed that, just go to horsechats.com, search for Brendan or search for Bergen. Or I think if you even went to Horse Chats and searched for stars and wish, I think you'd probably get that as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think so. Stars and wish. I haven't got wishes because it's only one wish, but I think stars and wish, yeah. All right, wonderful to talk to you, Brendan, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you again. Thanks, Ben. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.